Hey family, welcome to the Hands Up, Don't Shoot podcast, where I, your host, Ashley Franz Howell, tell the stories of Black victims of police brutality. I wanted to start off by saying thank you so much for sticking with me and letting me take last week off with the way things are going right now in the world, having to talk about these cases and research them. It really got to me, so I just needed some time to clear my head, but I am back and ready to bring you more content. And with that being said, I want to welcome you to episode 17. I do want to make a note that there is a trigger warning for language. Now, there isn't a ton of bad language in this episode, but there is one word in particular That may be offensive to some people, so I just wanted to let you guys know about that. Today, I will be telling you the stories of Freddie McCollum Jr. and India Kager. When we were researching Freddie McCollum Jr., a lot of information about his life was pretty hard to come by, and it was even difficult to find a picture of him, so there isn't much to his backstory, but we do have accounts from both him and police officers about what happened during his run-in with the police. Freddie McCollum Jr. was born in 1944 to Freddie McCollum Sr. and Anne Belle Dupree McCollum. He had four siblings, Leetro, A.C., O'Neill, and Willie May. He had a wife named Martha J. McCollum, and he had six children. On June 28, 1997, Freddie McCollum Jr. was stopped by Officer Robert McDaniel, a Prince George's County police officer near his home in Temple Hills, Maryland. Officer McDaniel pulled Freddie over because his front license plate was on the dashboard and not on the bumper of his car. So I know in some states, you can have a license plate on only the rear of your car, but for Maryland, you need to have license plates on both the front and back of your car. So I'm guessing um, Freddie's license plate was sort of sitting in the, in the window of his car. According to Officer McDaniel, Freddie drove for another mile before pulling into a driveway, but according to Freddie, he pulled over immediately and told the officer that he had left his wallet at home and he had motioned for Officer McDaniel to follow him. He said he told Officer McDaniel that he was going to go into the house to get his driver's license. Freddie also testified that Officer McDaniel kept grabbing the handle of his gun like he was going to pull it out. So Freddie also claimed that when he tried going into his house, Officer McDaniel tried pepper spraying him. He missed, 
but then it actually hit Freddie's daughter. Officer McDaniel testified that there was a brief altercation on the porch, but Freddie got away and ran into the house. And Officer McDaniel also testified that the door got closed on his arm. But multiple neighbors had testified that there was no struggle on the porch and that Officer McDaniel's arm was not closed in the door. Officer McDaniel did call for backup and the responding officers were canine officer Michael Hubbard, Officer James Murphy, and Officer James Klein. After Freddie went upstairs to get his wallet with his license in it, he came downstairs to find that his house was surrounded by police with their guns drawn, and instead of going outside, he decided to hide in the attic. So Officer McDaniel and Officer Murphy entered the home and followed Freddie into the attic. It was reported that one of the officers kicked him in the head, and then the officers made a hole in the floor of the attic and told McCollum to lower himself downstairs. It was reported that Freddie and the officers fell down from the attic, and the officers reported that's how Freddie got the injuries that he did. Allegedly, Officer McDaniel told Freddie that he would teach him for trying to run, and Officer Murphy called him a, quote, dumb nigger. On the living room floor, Freddie was beaten with a baton and attacked by a police dog who bit him at least six times. The officers didn't sustain any injuries from the fall. Freddie ended up losing his right eye, his cheekbones were crushed, bones in his left hand were broken and caused his hand to be permanently disabled. His ribs were fractured. Freddie was charged with assault and a few other crimes, but he was acquitted in a trial. Freddie also sued the officers and the Prince George's County government. In a 2004 interview, Freddie claimed that since that day in 1997, doctors had to perform 13 operations on his face and seven on his left hand. His right eye was removed, his nasal bones were reshaped, and the bones in his left hand were realigned. There were plates and screws removed from his hands, bones in his face were reconstructed, and his eyelids were reconstructed. He also had another surgery on the muscles in his eye socket because the artificial eye that he had would keep falling out. Freddie's doctors testified that he had the following permanent injuries. Quote, one, sensory deficit in his left hand. Two, partial limitation of motion of the fifth finger. Three, loss of his right eye. Four, complete loss of the orbital floor. Five, concave cheekbone, which had to be built up using medpore and titanium. 6. Posterior displacement of the cheekbone 7. Chronic sinus problems due to the fractures of his facial bones 8. 
loss of sensation in his face due to the nerves being crushed, and nine, permanent loss of depth perception and field of vision due to the loss of his right eye. In April of 2000, a federal civil jury decided that the officers violated Freddie's civil rights when they followed him home because of an alleged traffic violation, then went inside to beat him. The jury decided that Freddie should be given $67,000 in lost wages, $145,000 in future lost wages, and $3.5 million for pain and suffering. He ended up being awarded $4.1 million and Prince George's County had to pay his attorney's fees. Later on, U.S. District Judge Catherine C. Blake ruled that Freddie McCollum Jr. should get no more than $1.6 million for his damages, medical bills, and lost wages. She said that his injuries were not severe enough to warrant the $3.5 million, and she cut the award to $1.25 million. The officers were being sued for amounts between $100,000 and $150,000, but she also reduced those amounts to between $35,000 and $50,000 because she said the amounts were too high. Their annual salaries were between $50,000 and $61,000. They had families. And she figured those payouts would make the officers bankrupt. Soon after he was awarded his settlement, Freddie and his wife moved down to North Carolina, where he opened up a trucking company. He was able to purchase a big, beautiful home in a nice neighborhood. He was also able to purchase a luxury car. Freddie said that all he wanted was, quote, peace of mind. Freddie, his wife, and one of his children have now since passed away, but Freddie's story will continue to live on. And that family was the story of Freddie McCollum Jr. Now I'm going to tell you the story of India Kager. India Kager was born on June 9th, 1988 in Hyattsville, Maryland. Her parents were Gina Best and Richard Kager. India attended the Duke Ellington School for the Arts, which is a high school in Washington, D.C., before joining the military. Her older brother had also joined the military. India's father, Richard, and her grandfather were both retired officers in Washington, D.C., Gina, India's mom, described India as, quote, quiet, introverted, and artistically talented. India married a man named Sean Lawrence, and they lived in Florida and had a son together. But by the time India died, she and Sean had separated, and their son was living with his father. Based on military records, India served in the Navy from 2009 to 2013. She was briefly involved at the Naval Aviation Technical Training Center in Pensacola, Florida in 2010. And soon after that, she moved to Virginia Beach, Virginia, 
where she was awarded a ribbon for pistol marksmanship and medals for good conduct and serving in the global war on terrorism. India left Virginia and moved back to Maryland where she worked for the U.S. Postal Service as a mail carrier, and that started in August 2015. On September 5th, 2015, India and her 35-year-old boyfriend, Angelo Perry, and their four-month-old son were driving from Maryland to Virginia Beach, which is where Angelo was from. India was the one that was driving. Angelo was a known criminal in the area and was guilty of crimes like shootings, robberies, and even a homicide. Police had received information that he may have been about to commit a violent crime, so they had him under surveillance that day. There were four SWAT officers involved in the incident. They were Dana Royce, James Thorson, Kyle Zemer, and Stephen Ferriera. They were planning a vehicle takedown procedure against Angelo. The officers believed that India was driving Angelo to commit murder that night. The police saw India driving, Angelo in the passenger seat, and a possible person in the back seat. They never actually confirmed that the person in the back seat was actually an infant. India pulled into a 7-Eleven, then all of a sudden, a police vehicle hit the back of her car. The officers got out, surrounded India's car, threw a flash grenade, and smashed the windows. Angelo started shooting at the officers. He fired four rounds, but all of the officers were unharmed. The officers fired back. They fired 30 rounds within nine seconds into India's car. India was hit seven times and killed instantly. Angelo was also killed. Thankfully, the four-month-old baby in the back of the car was unharmed. India was 27 years old. Two of the officers, Officer Kyle Ziermer and Officer Stephen Ferriera, were found guilty because their bullets were the ones that were found in India's body. The other two officers, Officer Dana Royce and Officer James Thorson, were not charged with anything. The attorney's office claimed that Angelo was responsible for India's death. In May 2016, India's mom, Gina, and India's husband, Sean, filed a wrongful death suit against the four officers, who were actually still employed by Virginia Beach Police and this was for $15 million. Two years later, in August 2018, the jury awarded a total of $800,000 to India's estate, and that money would be split amongst her children. And that family was the story of India Kager. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for HudsPod. And you can support the show by going to buymeacoffee.com slash HudsPod. Remember, HudsPod is spelled H-U-D-S-P-O-D. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you get the latest episodes. And if you don't mind, please leave me a five-star review. Stay safe, and I'll see you next week.